Uh, we are in a series uh, on prayer, more than a conversation, and we want to jump into just three weeks talking about prayer because we think it's so important. And in fact, it's probably one of the most fundamental things to your faith. It's one of the most fundamental things to your life, to your worldview, because nothing shapes what you think about life more than the prayers and the conversations you have with God or the prayers and the conversations you don't have with God. Nothing shapes the way you approach your day, the way you approach your kids, your jobs, your worry, your anxieties, your monies. Nothing shapes it more than what you believe about what you can have in a conversation with the Lord. And so we want to take a couple weeks and help unpack what that looks like, help us maybe bolster some faith in our prayer life and and pursue what it is that God has for us through uh, prayer. What's interesting about prayer is that it is, as I said, the greatest tool at the disposal of believers and at at the disposal of non-believers of finding hope through Jesus, through prayer, yet somehow it seems to be the thing we do least of, but we all feel we should be doing more of, right? Like if you want to make Christians feel guilty, talk about tithing, prayer, and Bible reading. And so we're going to talk about one of those, not to make you guilty, but just to let you know we're all on that boat. I'm sure most of us, if we're honest, would say, I don't pray as much as I should. And so I've asked myself the question, well, why is that? What is it about prayer that is not always our first resort? Because if we're honest, it's a whole lot easier to worry than it is to pray, is it not? It's a whole lot easier to go to your friend and talk about all of those problems than it is to pray. It doesn't seem to be our first resort. And I think there's a couple reasons why, and perhaps they're different uh, for each one of us. But as I think about the opportunity you and I have to have a conversation with the creator of the universe, the one who made it all, who knows you, who's the beginning and the end, why would I not lean into that? And I think at times, if we're honest, it's because we tried it. And we did it, and it didn't go the way we thought. And so we stopped maybe believing so much in the power of prayer. We stopped really believing that this God in the sky really cared about what I had to say or really was moved to action when I prayed, and so we just stopped. Maybe you had a parent that was sick, and you prayed desperately for God to heal them, and God chose not to heal them on this earth, and you began to feel like God answered no, or God didn't answer you at all, and perhaps, and I've had conversations with many people, that's what drove you from the faith and and has really put a wedge between you and the Lord. And I think what's interesting is there's times where Christians can pray just like non-Christians. See, non-Christians pray all the time. They pray prayers like, God, if you're real, would you just such and such? Or they begin to bargain with God when they're at rock bottom. God, I'm at my absolute worst. And if you're real, would you just? Well, that prayer sounds a lot like some Christian prayers sometimes. God, if you're even listening to me anymore, would you maybe just? See, by and large, we can become practical atheists in our prayer life. And I think it's because we just don't know if God gives us the answers. We've prayed, but we didn't feel like we heard it. So we became discouraged and began to put less and less into it. See, the good news for you in this is you're not alone. We're not alone. And in fact, this was a problem that Jesus addressed thousands of years ago when he was walking on earth, a problem he addressed with his disciples. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter 18, and we're going to see what Jesus has to say about the discouragement that we can face in prayer. Luke 18, verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. I want you to pause there for a second. We're just going to kind of work through the next eight verses together over the course of our time. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, looking at his disciples, who were the 12 guys that he picked on earth to spend three years with and invest and impart his ministry of reconciliation to them, 
he looks at them and knows that they're going to grow discouraged and want to give up praying. Now, these guys literally have the answer to their prayers in flesh walking in front of them. They literally get to see the God of the universe in human flesh in front of them, and yet Jesus knows they're going to grow discouraged, which gives me great comfort. (laughs) That if even these guys, who had Jesus in front of them, became discouraged, that maybe God wants to meet me in some discouragement I face around prayer. This is a parable, which is a story that he sets up to teach them a lesson. It says this in verse 2. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea. Grant me justice against my adversary. So Jesus sets up this parable, and we need a little bit of context to understand the weight of what he's actually saying here. So in uh, Old Testament law, which everybody hearing and all the disciples would have understood uh, this to be implied already when Jesus talks about the widow, uh, was there was very specific commands set in place for the widow to be taken care of. So in order to be considered a true widow, you had to have no father, no son, and no husband, which means there was nobody to come to your fence your defense. At this point in the widow's life, the only hope she has is that some ruler or authority will come and defend her and give her justice. So she's at her last straw, basically, to get what she needs uh, done as far as justice when she comes to him. So the judge um, would have understood what was true of the Old Testament law, that there were certain provisions in place that widows were one of three highly protected individuals uh, within the Jewish community. And there was, in fact, a specific law about them in Deuteronomy 24. It'll be on the screen behind me. that says this, Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. This is why I command you to do this. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow so that the Lord your God may bless you in the work of your hands. So he would have known, and everybody hearing would have known, that not only was this judge supposed to help her out just out of decency, but there's a higher standard of how much he's supposed to help her. So he knows all of that to be true, and here's what he says about her request. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. So basically, he says, I don't give a rip about this lady. She's a pain in my neck. And what do I have to do to get rid of her? Sure, fine. I will finally give her justice so she gets out of my hair. So he's a a bad dude. Wants nothing to do with godliness. Wants nothing to do with any of that. But what I think is so interesting as I read this, and the end of it is um, this word attack me. Basically, in the Greek, it's give me a black eye, which would kind of imply more of a social perspective of uh, I don't want a bad reputation in the community. So to protect my reputation, I'll finally do this so that you leave me alone. It's like when the kid's having a temper tantrum in the grocery store, and you're nervous that somebody on the next aisle over knows you, and you're just trying to just give them the candy bar so they don't get embarrassed and get a black eye. Like, that's what's going on here, okay? Sometimes you just give them the candy bar. He says, I'm going to do this to get her off my back. And I wonder, how many times you and I feel like the widow praying to the unjust judge? We feel helpless. We feel defenseless. We feel like we've been put in situations where we can't come through, and then we have to go to this God up there, which we can't see, and try to twist his arm and get him to do what we need. I wonder how many times have I examined the prayers that I've prayed to God where I I feel like I'm having to convince some wicked judge to come finally do what I need done. 
Like he's not good. Like he doesn't see. It's so interesting that Jesus would use this parable to teach his disciples to not grow discouraged. Which makes me ask the question, why? Well, because I think he's revealing what he knows to be true in all of our hearts, that if we're honest, that's how we view God sometimes. And our prayers, that's, that's what we feel like we have to do to God, just annoy him until he finally says, fine. See, but Jesus didn't use this parable to compare himself to the judge, but to contrast himself to the judge. And here's what he says in verse 6. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice in quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Jesus says, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not like the judge, like you think perhaps I am. I'm actually totally opposite. But even if I was the wicked judge, if you were persistent enough, I'd answer. He says, no, no, no but I'm good. I, I am the loving father. And he uses this phrase in here, the chosen ones, which was an Old Testament uh, language that they would have understood to be a nation of Israel, which then kind of that terminology got used for anybody who was chosen by faith. So what does the chosen ones have to do with your prayer life? Consider this. Out of everybody on the earth, God chose you. And in order to choose you, he knew what it meant. And he had to leave the throne he had to come to earth. He had to go to the cross. He had to bear your sins upon there. He had to feel the shame of sin. The shame that deserved to be on you is now on him. That's what he had to go through to choose you. Why then would he not listen in when you're talking to him? If he would go through all of that work just to save you, why would he then turn his back on you and not listen to what you have to say? So he, that's what he's saying. Would he not hear the cry? day and night of his chosen ones, and lean in. If you're around me during the week, um, you know that my phone pretty much never stops ringing, and it's much to my wife's chagrin that it never stops ringing, but like Monday, I got six calls within 12 minutes that I had to take. It's just how it goes. But if I'm in a meeting, uh, I will turn my phone on silent, and I'll set it face down. But my wife and I have a rule. Uh, we have two little kiddos in our house, so we have to be around in case emergencies happen, and you know they happen. Um, so the rule is, uh, if it's not an emergency, don't call me during meeting times. Um, just text me, and if I can call you back, I will. So if I hear my phone ring and I look up and it's an unknown number, I'm just, I'm just going to ignore it. If it's your number, I'm sorry. I'll call you back later. I'm in a meeting. But if I look and my wife's calling me, it's just a rule. I'm going to get up. Excuse me. i got to go. This is an emergency. i got to take this call. I'll run out. What's up? Now, why do I do that? Because of the relationship that I have with my wife, there's an understanding that when she calls, I need to lean into that. I don't do it begrudgingly. I don't do it against my will. I want to be there to help. And not only am I going to listen, I'm probably going to spring into action. And I wonder if some of us feel like an unknown number to God sometimes when we pray. That when we throw up a prayer to God, he doesn't really know me. He doesn't really see me. I'm just an unknown number. And so we think it just goes straight to voicemail and God never heard it. But what if I were to tell you that God actually answers every single one of your prayers? And not only does he answer them, he springs into action to make those answers come to pass. What if you actually believed in your prayer life that God answered all your prayers? How would you start praying? What things would you start asking for if you really believed that he was the good father who wanted to bring about all good things? Would you start praying some big, bold prayers? See, but here's the thing, is that God doesn't answer them the way you want. And that's where we get upset. 
See, God answers every single one of my prayers. There is not a prayer that I have prayed or you have prayed that God has not answered. You just don't always get the answer you like. See, sometimes it works out, and God answers yes. And we love when sometimes the answer to our prayer is yes. We rejoice in that. You, know, you were praying for the financial breakthrough, and God, God did it. You were praying for the house. You were praying for the promotion. I'm sure we all could list all the, the yeses we've gotten from God, and that's awesome. Those are due. Uh, God is due thanksgiving because of those. But what happens when the answer is no? You see, no sometimes is what you get from God. And we don't like that. We don't like to be told no. But you know this if you have kids. Um, no is an answer to a request. <laughs> Can I have the candy bar? No. Can I play video games? No. Can I drive the car? Certainly no, right? <laughs> now, is that an answer? Yes. Do they like the answer? Not at all. And in our heart of hearts, I think at times we begin to think that we know best. So we ask things of God assuming that a yes would be the right answer when really it may not be. Before I met my wife, I was overseas and there was a girl that I was convinced that I was supposed to marry. She was not convinced, but I was convinced. And so I prayed for two years that God would make this girl my wife. And uh, I'll tell you what, I'm really glad he told me no. I, I just am. I think that's a country song. Some of you can sing it out there. It's an oldie, but all right. We can, Luke, will, Luke will sing us out with that one, unanswered prayers. Anyway, see, God knew something that I didn't know. God saw into a future that I couldn't see into. It's, it's just like my son Jocko. He's just starting to crawl and stand up on things and for some reason has this fascination with power chords. Just loves them. Doesn't care about the outlet, just power chords. So if he's quiet, I know he's moving his way towards the power chord, trying to not get caught. And I don't care what you want to say about when sin starts. It starts early, okay? Because I can come around the corner and be like, Jocko, no. And he smirks at me and runs away, like, cackling. I'm like, this is sin. Like, this is incredible. Anyway, here's the thing about me telling Jocko no. He has no capacity to understand what 110 volts feels like in the mouth. Like, he's just not, he's a brilliant kid. He's just not there yet. I, not in the mouth, but understand what 110 feels like because I'm an adult and I have the capacity to understand that. What if when we approach God, we understood that he was far above us? That he knew giving you a no was actually protecting you for something that was going to harm you? What if the no was the best answer you could have gotten because you wanted something that would have driven you from godliness into worldliness? And God saying no was, no, 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 trust me, I have something better for you. Did you know this? This is, this is crazy, that even the Son of God, Jesus himself, was told no by God. That he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, which was right before he went to the cross. He was praying so earnestly that he was sweating drops of blood so badly. And here's the prayer that he prayed um, to the Father. Here's what he said. Abba, Father. Everything is possible for you. So it's not for a lack of faith. He knew God could do this. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. What was Jesus saying? God, is there any other way? Like you could snap your fingers and take care of sin, right? Do I really have to go through the cross? Do I really have to endure the shame? And do you really have to turn your back on me as I take the sin of the world upon me? He says, if there's any other way, but if your answer is no, I want your will, not mine. And I'm really glad that God told Jesus no. Because of that, because of the no, 
you and I now have been given the opportunity to be free from sin and death forever. The death has no claim on us. See, sometimes it's wild to me that I think I know better than God. And what's interesting to me is, as I pray, and I want to tell God how to answer my prayer, I wonder why I pray sometimes. Because if I really think I know best, why am I trying to convince God? If God's not smarter than me, why am I going to him in the first place? If he's the same level as me, why waste my time? Prayer only makes a difference from a posture of humility that he knows something we don't, that he understands something we don't yet see. See, but there was no sin in Jesus. There was no impure motive. Clearly, God loved him, so God can say no to people who are in the right and doing the right thing. But sometimes what's true is that God says no to us for different reasons. Sometimes uh, we want something in life so badly that we've, we've shifted our motives. We've turned into an impure place where we want something because of sin. So this is what James tells us as the reason why sometimes you and I get a no from God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You see, sometimes God says no because that promotion you wanted is mostly just so people think you're important and you have more money to buy things to impress people you don't like. Because you wanted something out of impure motives. And again, God's no is not because he doesn't want good things for you, but he wants to protect you from you. Well, that stinks to hear. But thank God that he has spared me from so many things that I have wanted that would have been my destruction. Thank God for the no's that kept me from harm's way. See, sometimes God says yes, but not now. Sometimes it's no, but sometimes he says yes, but not now. And our impatience doesn't like this one. But, but sometimes God has things for us just at a future date. And that can feel like a no. But I want you to read what we had read out of Luke chapter 18, verse 8. And this is what he said. I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth. Jesus, in, this, in the end of the parables, we're referring to himself as the Son of Man, talking about a second coming and saying, even if the widow doesn't get justice here on earth, when I come back, she's getting justice and everybody else will get justice. But what is the word he used in there? Quickly. Anybody know when Jesus said that? Over 2,000 years ago. <laughs> so apparently, quickly in the heavenlies doesn't mean the same thing as quickly here, all right? Like, I'm quickly running to the store 2,000 years later, I come back, okay? That's <laughs> And so maybe God has given you a yes. You just don't get to see it yet. Maybe God's yes is coming, but what's our heart posture going to be in the meantime? There's a, a book uh, called Love Does by Bob Goff. He's an, he's an incredible author. I would highly recommend his books. He's a crazy dude. Um, but he was convinced he was supposed to go to law school, and there was a specific law school he felt like he wanted to go to, and he was being led to go to. So he applied, and uh, the time came and passed where he would have gotten his acceptance letter, and it never came. And so he said, well, I didn't get a rejection letter or an acceptance letter, so that must mean there's hope. And so he goes into the dean's office and says, hey, uh, you forgot to send me an acceptance letter. Just so you know, my name's Bob Goff. Maybe you misspelled it. Here's my address. And the guy said, no, no, it's a competitive program, and you didn't make it, as he ushered him out of his office. And he said, well, that's, that's not the answer I wanted. He said, you have the power to let me in. All you have to do is say the words. Go buy your books, and I'll do it. And said, yep, see you later, and shut the door on him. Well, the next day, he came back and sat in front of the, the bench in front of the dean's office and said, I'm back. 
All you have to do is tell me, go buy my books, and I'll do it, and I'm in. And this went on for a, a couple weeks leading up to school, and the first day of school came, and he was convinced this was the day. So he goes to the bench, and he sits on the bench, and he said, right, I'm ready. And the dean just didn't even acknowledge him. He just walked right past him and ignored him. Goes inside, and he says, well, all right. I still believe this is where I'm supposed to go. So she shows up every day after that for 10 days after school has started. And on the 10th day, the dean, probably out of pity, goes, go buy your books. And he got into law school, and now he's a lawyer who does international work to help uh, free people from oppression all across the globe. He, he's an incredible guy. And I read that story, and I go, what if we prayed like that? <laughs> I didn't get a no, so, it, so you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> So you're saying there's a chance. All right, so what if? What he said in Luke was, will he find faith on earth? Is the things that you've given up hoping for, the things that you've given up praying for, if God's saying, just not yet. And in the meantime, what he wants you to do and why maybe he's delayed that is because he wants you to come to him before you get the thing. Because he wants you to find him fully satisfying before you get the promotion, before you get whatever it might be. And what if we just began to posture our hearts that if God hadn't said no, we just stayed in a place of faith and hope and just leaned in and said, you're a good father and you know the timing and I trust you. Second Peter says this about the Lord's timing. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. What I find interesting about that is perhaps maybe the reason God is being patient is because he's doing something in you and he's doing something in me in there. And how many times have we rushed past the waiting period where God is working out the motivations of our heart? He does want to give it to us, but we run away before the process has been completed. I think the last way that I've seen God answers all of my prayers is yes, but not like that. Yep, it's a yes, but it's not coming the way you think it is. Like how many of you have prayed a prayer either for patience or for love for somebody uh, in your life and you were convinced that God was just gonna fill you with the heavenlies and you were gonna just sing songs of glory and you're gonna see people and just have such compassion and grace for them and none of that happened. Instead, he put an absolutely rotten individual in front of you and said, good luck, Chuck, right? I mean, you know what I'm talking about? They're praying for patience for your kids and then that's the worst day they ever have. Well, what if... The answer to your prayer just looks different than you thought. What if God, through the difficult situation, was actually answering your prayer in a way that you just didn't really appreciate? See, what's interesting to me is for years and years and years, the, the Jewish nation believed that the Messiah was coming. They knew it was a yes, that, that the God was going to send a Savior. They were convinced, and they knew it. And God said, yes, and amen, that's my plan. We're going to go forward with it. But what happened when this guy named Jesus showed up in the scene is that they had a predetermined expectation of how that prayer was going to be answered. And so when what's said about Jesus in Mark chapter 10, which is this, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, they missed Jesus. They missed the answer to their prayer because they were convinced that God was going to answer their prayer with a ruler who would take down the Roman Empire, set them up as a nation, and conquer the world, and Israel would be the greatest again. Well, Jesus showed up in the scene and started spending his time with prostitutes and tax collectors and ended up dying on a cross and resurrecting and then going back to heaven. Now, did God answer the prayer? Yeah, but not like they thought. And what's sad to me is if you read the narrative of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are countless individuals 
who missed Jesus because they had already determined how God was supposed to answer their prayer. They were already convinced. They knew what was best. And God said, no, no, no. You, you don't need a physical empire. You need salvation for your souls. You don't need freedom from Rome. You need freedom from death and sin forever. And so, as I look upon my life, what I've realized is that God has answered so many of my prayers in ways that I didn't want, that I didn't expect. And I realize I've gotten a lot more yeses from God than I've gotten no's. Not because of anything about me, but because his love for me. That he chose to send me into difficult situations that I didn't ask for really as an answer to my prayer. Like the prayer for godliness and holiness is found through the pathway of pursuing God through difficulty. What if we postured our hearts that way? That we just said, all right, God, I really, truly, honestly believe you're smarter than me. (laughs) I really, honestly, truly believe you know best. However you see fit to answer this prayer, answer it, God. What would change in our prayer life if those are the types of prayers we started praying? I can tell you your life would look radically different. (laughs) I can tell you'd probably be in some uncomfortable places, but you'd see God move in ways you've never seen him move before because our eyes can become blinded to what we want, not what's best. Here's my challenge for you as as we go uh, today. You, You know prayer. Even if you're not a believer, you know how to talk out loud and point it towards God. Could we just do it? 20 minutes a day. Could you commit this week to pray for 20 minutes a day? If you're already praying 30 minutes, awesome. Add another 20 onto it. That'd be awesome. If you're not praying at all, it's okay. Start with 20. There's nothing magical about it. Let's just shut off Facebook for a week. And let's just start praying some, some prayers. Like, God, whatever you want, whatever you wish, have your way. The second challenge for you is to get a prayer journal. One of the reasons I encourage prayer journals is because over the years that I've done them, what I've discovered is that I got a lot more yeses than I realized that God answered far more of my prayers, but I just have amnesia and forget his faithfulness so quickly. And as I've looked back over years of prayer journals, I, I see answers to prayers I forgot I even prayed. I see God show up in things that I had completely moved on from. And what happens is as I read through those pages, my faith is built that maybe God really does answer all our prayers. Maybe he really does. I'd encourage you, grab a notebook. There's nothing special about it. Just write the date and what you're praying for. And then you get to go back and, and watch how God answers all your prayers. Here, here's my final challenge as we go, because I, I want to help us shape our prayers. I don't want us just to waffle in prayer. I want to help shape your prayers. What if, and this is a, cra- a crazy question, what if you got a yes to every single one of your prayers this week? If God said yes to everything you prayed for, whose life would be changed? How many people would get saved? How many marriages would be restored? And how many people far from God would return from him? If everything was a yes this week, how many lives are getting changed? Are you, or are we just getting more comfortable, more ease? Who are we praying for? Because I'm convinced when a church and the people of God begin to bang on heaven's door like the widow, what they will find on the other side of the door is not a wicked judge, but a a righteous and good father saying, yes and amen, I'm in. Let's go save some souls. Who gets saved? What marriages get restored? Could we really bring heaven to earth through prayer? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Lord, we thank you that 
even in our discouragements towards prayer, that you meet us there. God, I thank you that you chose us. Lord, just the very basics of the good news that you found us at our worst and delighted to rescue us. Lord, I thank you that you have called us into a relationship with you and a relationship in which you can have a conversation with you, but we thank you that it's so much more than a conversation, that you're pulling us in to shape us and mold us and make us into the people that you've called us to be. Lord, I pray that this week uh, we would pray with boldness, knowing that you hear our prayers, that the things we ask God wouldn't be um, for anything for selfish motivation, Lord, that even as we pray for ourselves, it would be to grow in godliness. Lord, I pray that we would pray for marriages. I pray that we would pray for lost people. I pray that there would be a, a, a relentless list of people, Lord, that we are pursuing in prayer. Lord, I thank you for the confidence we have coming before you because of the blood of Jesus that has purchased us access to the King of kings and Lord of lords to move mountains. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we give you this day in Jesus' name. Amen.